The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. It's time for the Culture Club and I'm delighted that we have former Kerry footballer, won four All-Ireland titles, seven Munster titles, three All-Stars, but who's had a remarkable life since his retirement as well, particularly as a fashion designer with Dunn Stores. Paul Galvin, thank you very much for being with us. And your second book, Threads, because you did your autobiography in 2014 and Threads is something entirely different, isn't it? Uh, yeah, pro- probably is. Yeah, from the autobiography, it, it's it's uh, a little bit of um, you know the story storytelling. Really, it's probably a bit of Narkerry, a bit of Narkerry storytelling. That that oh, that literary tradition of Narkerry, I think, is maybe something that you're trying al- to explore along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And you really get into things. I mean, like for example, I read with interest, and I was sort of thinking, where is this going? And then I started getting it was. Your description of the groundsman and the work the groundsman does on a Gaelic football pitch. Just explain that in a little bit of detail for us. Do you know, Matt, it's probably the product now of a man in lockdown who had a lot of time in his hands and was thinking about things a little bit, maybe, over, you know, and no, I, I just thought it was something um, people would ask me from time to time, you know, how I went from football to this fashion world or t- uh, teaching education to fashion world and sport, particularly the sporting, it's it's a bit of a paradox or, or a, there's something of a culture clash maybe. But when you look at sport, it's really, it's hard to imagine sport without the design element, I, I feel. Well, the game has to be designed and codified, but you went, and we, we think of the rules of the game, but you went into the actual, the pitch and the way that a GA pitch is drawn, and I use the word yeah. drawn deliberately. Yeah, that was one element I was thinking about. Uh, the yeah, the lines of the pitch and the dimensions of the pitch and the groundsman and how he essentially paints the lines of the pitch with whitewash. And I would have seen a lot of that when I was young in Lixna hurling pitch. Men like Johnny Conway and great great Lixna club men lining the pitch themselves, and many a local club man. There mightn't be any groundsman; it will be just whoever. Taking a pride Taking in the presentation. Pride. Exactly, exactly. So, And then, you know, we would have seen over the years with, with in Fitzgerald Stadium and Austin Stack Park, the groundsman was a b- very big figure in, within the team. You know, he, we had men like Bernie O'Connor, uh, the late Bernie O'Connor in Fitzgerald Stadium. We had the late Vince Lennan, a Mayo man, d- d- down from Mayo, living, living in Tralee, who, who was the groundsman in Austin Stack Park for years, who was our kit man for years. So, like, Vince had an essential role in my time with Kerry, he handled the jerseys. He would hand you the jerseys in in the bowls of Croke Park. He was also the man that lined Austin Stack Park for for our games. And you know, I think I think ultimately there's just a measurement and a proportion and dimensions to the pitch that I can easily apply. We'll say to design meetings or whatever I'm having with the Duns people, the Duns buyers or design teams or marketing. It's almost, the pitch is almost made to measure is the way I'd probably um, make the comparison between tailoring and, uh, and I have a few good friends tailors. A pitch is tailored really and that's probably the kind of crossover. And I was only thinking about that because people were, would often ask me how I went from, you know, uh, the sport uh, into the industry I'm in now as if it was a big jump. But to me it wasn't that big a jump. It was a fairly easy jump because I could see parallels between, let's say, let's say the pitch. That was a later discovery really when I was thinking about the groundsman lining a pitch. But that was lockdown thinking really. But you look at the stadia. I mean stadia aren't built. They're, they have to be designed first. You know what I mean? They can't... Uh, they don't emerge out and over. Exactly. So, so they have to know what they're building. And the only way they can know what they're building is tr- through pre-design architects architectural designers, architectural engineers, architectural technicians, graphic designers, 
we'll, we'll, we'll design it first then it gets built so you know football boots jerseys footballs hurleys everything really when you look at it has been designed first then made so anyway look at come here I won't be dying on that hill Matt I just just uh, ju- do but, just but observations clearly, but, but clearly I mean although you write it very well and very clearly in the book you obviously must have a very heightened visual awareness do you? Um, I don't know I probably in, in, in the business in the game I'm in I do tend to see probably patterns and, and like I don't know it could be anything brickwork brickwork and bridges and scaffolding around here where we are right now around the time I was leading into writing the book there was scaffolding everywhere and scaffolding we actually ended up doing a a story called Scaffolder which was about a man who actually a man who owns Montpellier Rugby Club Mohid Altrad born in the the Syrian desert uh, was orphaned very young now anyway now a scaffolding billionaire and um so listen, it's whatever you see. Do you How would you become whatever. a scaffolding billionaire? Yeah, you know, a r- remarkable story for a guy who was sh- said to be a shepherd. Actually, he was he was he was shepherding goats and sheep in the deserts of Syria, orphaned, living with a grandmother, and found a school. Came upon a school, a hedge school, for 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 want of a better word, and started to attend school against his grandmother's wishes and got educated. Just had just had a, a, an ability in school. Was top of his class. Got a what they call a baccalaureate. Then I think out of Syria to France and in, ended up being educated in Montpellier. And then um, yeah, just acquired um, a, a, basically a failing scaffolding firm. He went into, he went into actually early. He's prior to that he was in he was in computers. What do you call it? Um, computer science computer science and then spotted an opportunity with, a, with this failing scaffolding company having, having um, moved back to Montpellier from Dubai and grew, grew it from there acquired more and more more and more construction firms and scaffolding firms and just grew it globally you'll see him Altrad on the front of the French jersey you'd see him on the front of the New Zealand jersey one time actually Altrad was the main sponsor and uh, that man would be somebody I'd admire and that's the type of story. That's the type of storytelling, I suppose, yeah. yeah. Let's get to your choices in Culture Club. You've no memory of a first <coughs> single for us, no? I don't really, like, I, I suppose, like, we would have, when I was growing up, Matt, it was in the car, maybe, when I was, you know, pre-teen or teen, yeah. going to the car and play a cassette. I do have memories of that. I have memories of long-wave radio, Atlantic 252. Good God, <laughs> that's a long time ago. That's the 1990s anyway, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm going back there, so, like, I suppose vinyl, my father had a big record player. I remember playing his vinyl. So that was Margot, Foster and Allen, the Dubliners. That was that, that was that kind of stuff. Your choices are nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. So they're my, earliest, you know, for earliest memories, they're kind of earliest memories. Um, my first kind of real memory of buying music would have been an album, really. Okay, and what was that, do you remember? I'd say that was probably Oasis. Well, you have as your favourite album, definitely, maybe. Why did you pick that album? And I know you have another choice you want to mention as well, but tell me about Definitely Maybe. Yeah, Definitely Maybe was the first piece of music, first album that really kind of uh, grabbed me. Um, I remember being on a ferry. I was, I, was, I was in third year in school. I remember being on a ferry going on a school tour to France. And I must have had bought it, but I had it anyway, and it was playing on the ferry. And it was just, I thought it was amazing. I, I thought it was like, it just, when I think back on it now, it just reminds me of potential. Like there was a lot of potency to it, a lot of energy to it. 
And it was, I think, Liam Gallagher's delivery, really. His delivery of the lines and the lyrics, I thought, was just, there was just something kind of irreverent about it and there was massive energy to it. So it, it was, I found that album exciting and it gave me a sense that, you know, what was possible and anything could happen and it just gave, it just excited me for the future, that album. Let's hear a little bit of Supersonic. and Supersonic from the album Definitely Maybe Paul would you ever go back to that album now? I will after this <laughs> yeah and I haven't in a long time but now you sort of triggered the memories yeah, big time yeah yeah absolutely great, you might great have gone song. for another choice though would you a different album well I was thinking about it since of course and it's hard to kind of narrow down you know the way it is like and once upon a time I listened to a lot of music I'm probably not listening to as much nowadays but I was once like you know Jay-Z I found really brilliant like uh, just in terms of the things he had to say and and the messages he he, he we would send in, in his in his music and in his lyrics and that and I, I remember Watch the Throne that Watch the Throne album that collaborative album between himself and Kanye West that came to Dublin and it was a combination of factors I, I, I really liked the album cover for that Watch the Throne album was amazing there was a particular designer behind it there was then the stage design the actual show I went to see the show and there was a designer called Es Devlin I named my first daughter after Es Devlin actually and Es Devlin did the stage design and if you look at Es Devlin's work she's she's massively successful wealthy power, powerful figure behind a lot of U2's shows Jay-Z Adele you, you, you name it, Beyonce, like you, you name the biggest acts in the world and this girl is the one who's creating the sets and the stages and that. So uh, I remember that collaboration between Jay-Z and Kanye West and the whole, the, the production of that album. Okay. Favourite band? You've <coughs> gone for the Picture This and the XX. Yeah, I, I think, I do think Picture This are exceptional. Um, I, I, I find, again, it's a little bit like the point I made about uh, Jay-Z earlier, the things they have to say. I think when you look when you look at what Ryan, we'll say Ryan Hennessy, the lead singer, has to say, I find them very powerful at times in terms of his lyrics. So Jimmy, the Jimmy, the, 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 the drummer, produces, like, and he, he, he's also very talented. And I just think in terms of live shows, lyrics, performance, I, I, I do think they're, they're really good. Let's hear a picture of this, Unconditional. Shivers, 
Picture this unconditional. You also have Ryan Hennessy as your favourite music artist, Paul. He actually did this Culture Club September last year when he brought out his poetry book, Syncopated Blue. So what is it about Ryan in particular that you like so much? Uh, what is it about him? I, I just think he's just got a cut about him. He's got he's a cut above, I, I, I think. just And I know him anyway, you know what I mean? So he was somebody probably when he was starting out would have, would have been in contact about just, you know, his his... His, maybe his his image and he was aware of the fact that look what he wore yeah. mattered and I, I, I remember thinking I asked him to send me some of his music before I met him and he did and I thought well I, I, this is going back now it's going back seven eight years and he was unsigned and so I got the mail and I said look send on some stuff and I was listening to the stuff he sent on I thought it was amazing and um so yeah, I just I just think he's I just think he's he's a cut above most front men. Okay, you also have Junior Brother. <coughs> Tell me about Junior Brother as a favorite artist. Yeah, Junior Brother is a young boy from Kerry, and his brother actually played in goal for Kerry, Brendan Keeley, and I'm not sure if that's what his name relates to, Junior Brother. I'm not sure uh, <laughs> because in Kerry you're famous when you're a may, senior intercounty footballer. May, maybe, maybe you know what I mean. But I'm into naming things. I'm, in, yeah. I'm really into the names of things and the names of songs and the names of artists and the names of stories in in in, in the book and all that. So na- naming things, I find with Duns when you get the name right, you got to get the name of a story and a collection right. I think the rest, everything else, can unfold and unlock from there. But I think it's a really interesting name. I think his 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 music and his um, his kind of delivery, his sound, his confidence to kind of sing the way he sings, to just perform the way he performs, to dress the way he dresses. I think he's a standout as well, and I think he's in a very he's in a space that he's kind of becoming. He's coming into his own, and uh, I, I I like I, I, I'm interested to see where he goes. We have from Junior Brother hung over at mass. It's the first time we've had Junior Brother really? on The Last Word anyway. Great, great. Well, he'd be an interesting guest for you. All right. He's a, he's a, he's a smart guy and uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes. Best gig. I presume you've been at a lot, but you've gone for the XX at Electric Picnic. I have, yeah. And I have been at a good few, I suppose. It was, again, it was the one that was hard, hard to narrow down. But I just, I just remember enjoying this with my good wife. And Louise, who of course worked yeah, here with us, a great friend in today, uh, family. That's right. That's right. I remember enjoying that gig with her and some good friends. And I do think they're a special band. Maybe broken up now, and maybe have gone their separate ways. I'm not sure, or have re. I think may have broken up and come back together. But individually, really, really strong individuals as a band. 
I think the XX are exceptional and uh, I, I've enjoyed them a lot in the past. Well, it's not from Electric Picnic. We have them live at Glastonbury in 2017 and this will be one of my favourite songs on hold. You'll be going back to Oasis. I'll be going back to listen to the XX great. tonight after that. That's Me a too. great track, great album. Okay, we're going to take a break on the Culture Club here in the last where Paul Galvin is with us, uh, the author of Threads. And we'll be getting to books and movies and television in the second part of the Culture Club after this short break. Welcome back. Paul Galvin is with us, author of Threads. You may know him as well, fashion designer and also, of course, once upon a time, a former Kerry footballer of considerable success. But let's get to non-musical selections that you've made. Favourite movie? You've got a Leonardo DiCaprio thing going on here. Yeah, I do. I I, I suppose, like, DiCaprio, I I think, is just an outstanding actor. Nearly everything I see him in, I think he excels. Now, Again, a hard one. I'm a big fan of Colin Farrell, Gleeson, the McDonald brothers, that whole that whole kind of combination yeah. has given us some exceptional movies. Um, but I think, look, DiCaprio, I, I thought a movie like The Aviator, actually, which I, if I remember, got got panned a little bit. And it's an it epic story. I mean, it's based on the life of Hard Hughes and it is Howard what a Hughes. story. What a story. What a movie. I thought it was a great movie. It is a great movie. He was, I thought he was amazing in that movie. Uh, I thought he was amazing in Catch Me If You Can. He's incredible in Wolf of Wall Street. Like I, I would, I'm not a mo- huge movie man, um, Matt, to be honest, but like if I was to revisit, I would revisit anything by him, anything by Colin Farrell, anything by Brendan Gleeson, the McDonough's, um, there, I just think there's so much depth in them, and there's so much to take from them. There's a lot of great kind of nuance and and subtle kind of humour in them. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I probably I, I think DiCaprio is just. Uh, well, let's hear a bit from Catch Me If You Can, in which he plays opposite Tom Hanks. You're late, all right. My name is Alan Barry Allen, United States Secret Service. Your boy just tried to jump out the window. My partner has him in custody. I don't downstairs. know what you're talking about. You think the FBI are the only ones on this guy? I mean, come on, come on, he's dabbling in government checks here. I've been following a paper trail on this guy for months now. Hey, you, you mind taking that gun out of my face? Please, really. I mean, it makes me nervous. We see some credentials. Yeah, sure. Take my whole wallet. <clears throat> you want my gun too? Come over here, take my gun. Hey, hey, look, just do me a favor. Take a look outside. Look, look out the window. My partner's walking him to the car as we speak. Look. 
old guy almost pissed in his pants when I came through the door. He jumped right through the window onto the hood of my car. Hey, Murph. Yeah, call the LAPD again. I don't want people walking through my crime scene. I didn't expect the Secret Service on this. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> well, what's your name? Henry. Carl Henry. Mind if I see some identification? Sure. You never can be too careful these days. Well, tough luck, Carl. Five minutes earlier, you would have landed yourself a pretty good collar. It's all right. Ten seconds later, and you'd have been shot. Mind if I come downstairs with you? I, I gotta take a look at this guy. Sure thing, just uh, do me a favor and sit tight for a second while I get this evidence downstairs. You know, I don't want some maid walking through here and making the bed. LAPD should be here any sec. Wait. Your wallet. You hang on to it for a minute. I trust you. Great con movie, that. It's Brilliant. a great movie. Catch me if you can. Favourite book or author? You have nominated a book by an author who was on the programme within the last year talking about it. You've gone for Moshin Hamid's The Reluctant Fundamentalist. Why so? Well, purely now because I just recently read it and I've just started to read read books again of late. I, 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 I'm not, I haven't been a great reader and I just started to read again recently and that I picked up, actually I picked up on Camden Street in a little bookstore. It was a little stall on the side of the street and I picked it up going by and I thought I really enjoyed it, I must say. Uh, no, it's all I know of him, to be honest with you. I couldn't name another book by him. Um, but that was just in my head as I had just read it. So I, I thought it was uh, it was kind of a monologue of a read. It was but, just but one. Let's hear a clip from it. Yeah. Jim leaned back in his chair and crossed his legs at the knee, just as you are doing now. Then he said, you're polished, well-dressed. You have this sophisticated accent. Most people probably assume you're rich where you come from. It was not a question, so I made no reply. Do your friends here know, he went on, that your family couldn't afford to send you to Princeton without a scholarship? This was, as I have said, the most important of my interviews, and I knew, moreover, that I ought to remain calm. But I was getting annoyed, and I had had enough of this line of questioning. So I said... Excuse me, Jim, but is there a point to all this? It came out more aggressively than I intended, my voice rising and taking on an edge. So they don't know, Jim said. He smiled and went on. You have a temper. I like that. I went to Princeton too, class of 81, summa cum laude. He winked. I was the first guy from my family to go to college. I worked a night shift in Trenton to pay my way, far enough from campus that people wouldn't find out. So I get where you're coming from, Changez. You're hungry. And that's a good thing in my book. This is sort of a political thriller drama, isn't it? It was made into a movie with Riz Ahmed right. it as well. That's right. It's, it's, it's kind of a Middle East, US-Middle East relations in a single monologue type of conversation. Okay. Yeah, that's what it kind of amounts to. You had another book down as well that you're currently reading, Seve Ballesteros' autobiography, The Late Great Spanish Golfer. Yeah. Do you read much sports books or have you read them? Uh, God, have I read them? Can't. But why that one, so? Why that one? Yeah. I do like Seve. What was about him? Because it was, it was only, I only really tuned into him when he passed. Yeah. 
and I loved every, nearly everything I heard about him. I liked. Uh, he was re he was really as a golfer. I believe great in tough situations, great in tight corners, great to save around. If he was in a bad position, was always able to extricate his way out of it and pull his shot out of the bag. Um, and I remember reading a quote by him that said, if he was ever in a tough spot with a bad lie and under pressure, he used to say, <laughs> I think this is a great one, but he used to say to himself, this is the one they'll be talking about in the clubhouse later. What <laughs> 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 self-confidence to back himself. Like I, I, I constantly think of that one. I constantly think of that quote. This is the one they'll be talking about in the clubhouse later. I'll pull this, I'll pull this one out of the bag. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I like, I like Seve, yeah. All right. F favourite football, our favourite TV show, Football Italia as a teenager. <clears throat> yeah, I suppose <clears throat> we spend so much time outdoors, Matt. I, I, I'm still not a big TV man, to be honest with you. OK. But I, I, I could only give you a Football Italia from a Monday night. At one point, I remember there was NFL possibly on a Sunday night. Yeah. And, and, and I must say, a constant at one point for a long time was, was Glenroe. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, we used to gather around Glenroe. I do remember that as a family, half eight on a Sunday evening. Yeah. And we'd all, we'd all get around to watch Glenroe, but probably they're the only references I could give you. I remember at night, politics being on, late night politics always been on in our house. After When we went to bed, my parents were, were really into, always into the late night politics. Yeah, so Football Italian on Monday night was a big one. It left a big imprint on me, actually, in terms of what I'm doing now as in, in terms of design. The, the Italian football kits, Italian sports brands. Italian football in the 90s was a huge, hugely designed, a lot of iconic brands that are still around today, like Lotto and Kappa. Um, yeah. And you have then, as a favourite TV show at the moment, and you're not watching an awful lot, but you have Netflix series called Abstract. What is that? Um, abstract is just it's just a it's a kind of a, it's a design series really it looks at people like uh, Tinker Hatfield who was the man who who designed for Nike all the Air Jordans Michael Jordan's shoes okay so he's a trained he's a trained architect and an athlete and he basically his college coach was Bill Barman who was the co-founder of Nike with Phil Knight with Phil Knight so Tinker Hatfield was a college athlete in the University of Oregon. His coach was Bill Barman. Bill Barman looked at the shoes his athletes were wearing and they weren't fit for purpose. So Bill Barman used to use his wife's iron to melt the soles of the trainers that his athletes were wearing to create this waffle, this waffle sole to create more traction on the cinder. Uh, this waffle shoe became a huge seller for Nike. He, he was only experimenting at home with his wife's iron. He, Bill Barman, Nike co-founder, one of his student athletes, Tinker Hatfield. Tinker Hatfield started to help Barman build prototypes at Nike. Not This was pre-Nike. Yeah. Um, Barman meets Phil Knight. Phil Knight takes production goes to China, finds some production, starts to build better prototypes, better samples. They named it, it was Tiger brand actually first, I think, than Nike. But anyway, Tinker Hatfield ends up, end up, end up, ends up working for Barman and Knight, designing the shoes. Anyway, he's the man behind the Jordans that became just this cultural phenomenon. And that's just one story, because the clip we actually have from Abstract is another one, a costume designer called Ruth Carter, and how she describes her creative process. What is costume design? Nobody really knows what it is that we do. 
Is it fashion? Do you sew? I mean, they know what lighting design is. They know what directing is. I think as we evolved as a filmmaking body, there's more focus on it as an art form. For me, costume design is the process of taking an idea and making it come to life. It starts, you know, in here first, and it uh, is developed. You have to understand a little bit about people, what makes a person who they are, where they live, what they believe in. Sometimes that's really reflective on the outside. It's storytelling. How does that resonate with you now? Um, I, do you know, it's an episode I haven't seen, actually, but I know that all that applies to, it could be, it could be stadium design, sneaker design, automobile design. Uh, yeah, storytelling is probably like a good description for, that's what I would consider what's in the book, storytelling. But look, at I don't come, I don't claim to be a root character or a Tinker Hatfield, or, or, but I do understand what, um, she's talking about um, but um, yeah so. well look I tell you what because we're nearly out of time there's one final thing I want to ask you about and I'm fascinated by your choice for a cultural buried treasure because you have picked a great Jack B. Yeats painting The Liffey Swim why'd you pick that? yeah I picked that Liffey Swim because I suppose I'm I suppose I look at artists and the arts as being maybe a little bit disenfranchised, maybe. And I look at young Irish guys like Neil Patrick Collins, former Roscommon footballer, a good footballer, creating art at the moment. Um, this is David Sweeney, former Dublin hurler, who's created some art for Croke Park. Um, there are others. Uh, that Liffey Swim won the Irish Free State's first ever Olympic medal, a silver at Paris 1924 when art was an Olympic category. And I just think that, again, it's, it, it speaks to something of our culture, basically. Um, that uh, uh, the Irish Free State's first Olympic medal was a piece of art, I think says something. I don't know what exactly, but I, I did a collection on it. It's the current season in Duns as well, I, I, I might mention. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's called Jack and it's based on that. It's base. It's just. It's storytelling. It tells the story of 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 that that win at Paris twenty four. And there's also stories in the new book Threads, Clothes, and the Irishman: A Woven History. Paul Galvin, it's been great having you on the Culture Club. Thank you so much for having joined. Thanks joined for having us. Me, Matt. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from four thirty.